Theology Gals, Episode 26, Complementarianism and Genesis 316, with Wendy Alsup. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. This is going to be kind of our second episode on complementarianism and we're going to get into some kind of specifics and really talk about Genesis 3.16 today, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of opened the can of worms last week, um, and today we're going to continue to explore it biblically, which I'm I'm excited about. Right, and and just to kind of tell everybody before we get to our guest, you know, this is something this debate over Genesis three sixteen is fairly new, at least on my radar. I mean, in the last year or so. And so this is something that even I'm still, you know, working out and trying to understand. So, you know, a lot of this, and I think you are too, Ashley, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're really just, we're really just hoping, hoping that our listeners will, will listen and just give them something to think about, um, you know, because I think a lot of these things I've just kind of taken for granted. And I haven't really taken the time to consider them biblically and talk to my pastor and elders about them. So, you know, that's that's what we're we're wanting to come from from this conversation and this topic is let's just really think about these things, not take what we've heard as truth. Like, let's see what right. the Bible really says. So, yeah, whether that's what you grew up with or what you hear today. Because we're going to be talking to Wendy Alsup, and she has definitely has one view on Genesis 3.16. And I know that there's another view out there. And I think she does a good job of explaining why she holds to this view. And we'll be linking a bunch of articles from her. So if you want to look at that. And I don't even know for sure, Ashley, who out there holds the other view. Maybe we'll yeah. report back on our next episode. We'll We'll find some good articles on the other view and... We can, we can talk about them on the next episode. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, and that'll be like, see, we're going to do 110 episodes on complement 
<laughs> and yeah. I did did want to say that we are going to be having Amy Bird on. I, I did ask her if she'd come on, and she agreed to come on. So we're going to be talking to her in the next few weeks, Lord willing, about women in the church. Because since our episode last week, a lot of people had questions about what can a woman do in the church. And so we are going to dive into that. And I think Ashley and I, when we're kind of done with these episodes, are going to do a question and answer episode because several of you have sent us questions that, you know, within biblical manhood and womanhood and, and marriage and how this looks and stuff. So I think we'll probably do kind of a question and answer episode at the end just to kind of wrap. I think it'd be a good wrap up too, yeah. to do that. Yeah. So, and we've got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm really excited. And I also wanted to mention, we have two episodes this week. So on Wednesday, we are releasing a special Theology Gals Presbycast episode. So be looking for that too, because we're really excited about that. So, okay. Well, we'll be right back with Wendy Alsip. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. And we are back with our guest, Wendy Alsup. And I think a lot of our listeners have are readers of your blog, Wendy, but could you just share a little bit maybe about your background and your blog, you know, what it is for those who might not be familiar. Sure. It's called Practical Theology for Women. And for a while, um, I've been burdened that um, a lot of theology books and analysis aren't just written by men, but they're written with the male audience in mind. And, um, but that women need theology as much as anybody, if it's the knowledge of God, but um, that we also often resonate with the theology that matters, that affects our practical life. So I, I find a lot of my sisters did in like debating the big words and more interested in like, what is this understanding of God? How does that apply to my life? And so that's kind of been my burden in my ministry is um, taking the deep things of the word, but um, communicating them in a relevant way so that women get why it matters if they're not naturally inclined to a scholarly pursuit. And I should have mentioned, you've also written several books and I think we're gonna talk a tiny bit about your newest book. And how many books do you have? Yeah, I have four out and the first one was Practical Men. And then I've got an, a study of Ephesians, which is sold the least, but it's my favorite of all my books, which is kind of funny. And um, another study on the gospel-centered woman. And then my newest one on um, the Bible for women or how to trust the Bible for women. And which is so encouraging for us because there's just not a lot of solid 
books for women out there. So a lot of the books, in my opinion, which I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but if they're theologically precise, they're inaccessible to women or to or they're inaccessible to women who have not pursued a theology degree. And if they're aimed toward women, they don't necessarily value theologically. So my burden has been to combine the two. Well, we're, we've been talking about complementarianism, and this is kind of, there's different extremes within it, and there's, you know, just so, so many questions that even our, the ladies in our group have. And you have written a few articles, I think, on the Genesis 316 and how to understand that. And I think just before we even get into like the meat of it, can you explain kind of the, the controversy that's been going on with the ESV and the translation of Genesis 316? Yeah, the historical translation has been, um, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's the New American Standard and pretty much all of the translations have been fairly consistent um, for decades, for actually since most English translations have been reasonably consistent. But the ESV changed it um, last year um, and pain you shall bring forth your children, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this fits a new teaching introduced in the late 70s, early 80s, foe, that the woman's desire in Genesis 3.16 was actually a desire to manipulate or to control her husband, to wrestle power from him. And um, the real change in the ESV was to this preposition related toward or against or for and it's a terminal direction in other words her desire terminates at her at her husband it's much like you would have the rake um, toward or a rake line against a tree so you could use against but it, it only in the sense of it being against in terms of the direction terminates against this tree. So her desire terminates against this man or is directed toward him. Um, but the ESV has changed it that her desire will be contrary to her husband. And, and this word, I think it's L, E-L, Hebrew word, never, ever translated anywhere else in the ESV as contrary. Hmm. Um, and so it, it's very concerning change, concerning to me, um, or theologians and, and translators more familiar with the Hebrew. I'm familiar with women more than I'm familiar with Hebrew, but as I've studied it, I can find no, among writers of, about this word, no justification for this except a bias against Susan Foe's um, understanding of this concept. So I, I guess I'm still trying to wrap my head, Wendy, around this whole thing because I was always just taught the one way, you know, the whole um, desire will be for your husband. So you're saying, you're saying the difference is between saying contrary like what, what are the two words you're saying 
are different. Contrary, and what was the other one? Well, the word for desire is uh, teshukwa. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not good at pronouncing that. I read it more than I pronounce it, but um, that's desire. Okay. And so that word they didn't change. What they did was change um, what kind of desire that is. Is it a desire for your husband toward him? So is this a woman turning toward him or is this the woman turning against and so what they actually physically changed was the um, translation of the preposition L, which is okay. the direction of the desire. I see. Okay. So that's, that's, and that's, is that unique to the, the ESV? Yeah. Okay. And even unique within the ESV, every other time this preposition is translated. Okay. So it, it differs. Which is like all. thousands of times. Okay. Okay, that's really interesting. So, so then you think you think this is not the correct translation, right? You think it it should be the other way? Yeah, I think the way it's been historically translated for hundreds of years is our normal Hebrew lexicons are correct. Um, okay, and it, it's really a very new um, late seventies, early eighties where this first thought process um, started entering discussion around the beginnings of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. What are the practical implications of how we understand this? Because I think this does kind of fit into even some of the debates within complementarianism, right? Right, and I don't know that I would have as aware of it if I hadn't been um, in leadership at Mars Hill Church. Because I think for a lot of people, this is not on their radar, even if they do fully consider themselves Tyrion. Hmm. But at Mars Hill, this was taught specifically, her desire will be control her husband, and that that's kind of a woman's root from the fall of man. And I think it gets latched upon and emphasized if someone already is biased against women, a misogynist, that this teaching then suddenly becomes, um, and I think it's a false teaching, but it becomes a, now you've got your verse for women wanting to take control from men in their homes in the church. And I, I, I watched it play out at Mars Hill and what it ended up doing, even in my own life, that it causes us to misdiagnose symptoms for the root cause. And I experienced this among women at Mars Hill and even in my own life, where I have at times manipulated, wanted to take control, but it wasn't, that wasn't my root sin. My root sin was fear and anxiety and sometimes turning toward a man it could be my God, that he could keep me secure that I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with um, God as God. And that at times I turned toward men looking for security. They were never meant to provide me. And then when they didn't, I could, I would, I could attempt to control my own destiny. Um, but that a desire to control was not my root sin. And much more than that, I had a desire to turn toward men at times in my life 
that um, overemphasize their role in my life instead of God's in place of God's. But then what happens? Teach that a woman's uh, primary sinful desire after the fall is to control or manipulate men, then you become suspicious of women everywhere all the time. And that's what I experienced at Morris Hill Church was that um, there was this innate suspicion of women that really um, undermined a woman's ability to offer the kind of feedback or azer type help that God had designed her to do. That it, uh, unless you 100% agreed with every man all the time, you had nothing to offer them. And in times, God does have a woman's different perspective as a valuable asset to a man to help him. But if you're only ever suspicious and anytime a woman speaks up with a differing opinion, you think it's her attempts to manipulate or control, you have just undermined the help that God created her to give you in redemption. And it's almost what we're seeing, I guess, in in patriarchy circles, what you're describing. And and I'll be honest, this is something that I'm that Ashley and I are both still studying. Cause like you said, I mean, it's it's been on my radar. It's been in our radar, I think, primarily because of the internal subordination, the sun controversy and, you know, and things like that. So it's been on my radar, but we were, I think both Ashley and I were taught the other way. Yeah. I mean, until, until a year ago when this whole, I mean, I think it was like a year ago, right? This whole ESS thing with, um, kind of exploded. I was I was really only aware of that perspective that desire meaning desire to um, like usurp authority. I I've I had never heard of that it could mean and and Wendy it sounds like you're kind of saying it could mean more of an idolatry correct? I think it could be that or or it might even be. Um, the more I've thought about it, I think it's a parallel with the man and um, the ground. So he, he was created rightly to till the ground. And the woman was created rightly to desire and turn toward her husband. But just as he is frustrated in his work and the ground is thistles and thorns and works against him, she is now frustrated and her turning toward her husband as he does not receive it. And um, I definitely think for both men with work and women with um, their relationship with the man, both can turn to idolatry um, easily. And I think you, you see that um, if you pull back the scales, like for whatever inroads feminism has made, there are a lot more Kardashians out there than there are, you know, Hillary Clinton's, to be honest. So I see it. I see the sexual exploitation of women and women willingly participating in it in our nation in particular, in Hollywood and People Magazine and Twitter. Um, with they, the women participated in it with vigor as they turn toward these men and they're frustrated in their desires, but they want that really only God can give them. Hmm. So I think you kind of already touched on some of the practical implications, but can you, and I think maybe that you touched on this a little bit too, but how is our understand, how does our understanding of this affect how we see women in the church? Yeah, I think it's really important because it, 
it depends on whether you're going to see women stepping up in the or as a harm. And at Mars Hill, in my experience, when they were they were so suspicious of women that women couldn't really step up. And, and this is separate from a woman being an elder or I, I believe that women are not to be elders uh, and not, um, and that I believe in wives submitting to their husbands. So it's a separate thing. It's whether women can influence or speak into, or what, what is, is do they have a place beyond um, nursery and childcare? And actually I've, I'm, I'm appreciative of my denomination. I'm in a PCA church, but even though a lot of people consider themselves complementarian, I have not been taught this by pastors um my pastors at least in the pca and i felt like they really valued um discipleship of women strong women women speaking into things in the church so i've been fortunate since mars hill to live in a different paradigm and my pastors actually my pca pastors were not taught this other way in seminary either hmm. oh that's that's very interesting <laughs> that's very interesting that, that's interesting because I think, I, I guess I've just thought of that as like the only way to understand Genesis 3.16 and the only way that I've really heard about and especially reading like women's literature that I've read over the years about like women's roles and stuff. That's everywhere in, in that literature. I've never seen, you know, I've never seen, um, the mention of like idolatry or things. So I almost think like, I, I guess I was almost thinking, Oh, I guess this is just what everybody thinks, you know, like it's just this universal thing, but it, it's not apparently in, in, in your church and in other churches. And, um, very interesting to me. It infiltrated the council of biblical man and womanhood was pretty effective in um, uh, rooting out um, a more liberal view of women in ministry from the Southern Baptists and taking some conservative steps within some Presbyterian circles. The problem that, you know, even though I would agree with uh, a women, a male only eldership, that I believe that scripture was manipulated in order for, for um, them to have uh, 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 like a hook, hmm. you know, this is these women, you see these feminists, they're wanting to take over society. And I believed it at first too, and told me that's what it meant. But then it was really interesting to study in history and realize it has no history in either translation or lexicons or uh, prior to Susan Foe introducing it. And she says in her document that introduced it, that it was a reaction to feminism. So they retranslated scripture and they changed this definition in um, reaction to a cultural phenomenon that occurred in like the last 0.8% of human history. And that, that really feels very non-reformed non-orthodox, non-historical to me to have this response. In your studies, I'm, I'm curious, did you find anything on anything from the early church fathers? Or did no. you look? Okay. You didn't yeah, find anything, you didn't find anything from the early church fathers about 
this newer translate I mean this newer definition of Genesis 3:16 yes yeah, not among the newer fathers John Calvin and Matthew Henry I don't exactly like their interpretation um, but it's not it's not Susan Foes hmm that's interesting that, that, this is very very fascinating I think. <laughs> because you know even though God's word is our foundation and authority, we can learn from those who came before us on on so many things. So to the fact that this definition is that new should cause us to say, hey, we need to step back and see if this is the correct way of understanding it. And the other thing I want to tell my audience, you've written on this, and I'm going to link those in our episode notes. Um, on your blog, you've actually written about this. And I think I, I really enjoyed reading those. I mean, it, I know that you've really researched, mm -hmm. researched this a lot. And one thing we talked about on our first episode on complementarianism is because there are extremes that we're seeing within complementarianism. I mean, to the point, some people don't even like the word anymore. So is that the view that maybe the more extreme circles are understanding? Yeah, definitely, because the folks that coined the term complementarianism believed this. So I think I know a lot of people who claim to be complementarians and they don't believe this. Hmm. They just feel like complementarianism means that, you know, pastor elders are men and that wives should submit in their marriages. And that to them is more complementarianism. But among the founders, the guys who coined the term um, through the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood um, in the 80s. This is part of it. They really mm -hmm. believed, like Susan Foe, that feminism was a symptom of Genesis 3.16 and that rising up to crush uh, this woman wanting to take over from the man was this moral high ground because her uh, you know, any attempts to take control were the fall playing out at the root level. Hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned in your article, I mean, we're kind of getting into like some other issues with, with complementarianism, but you mentioned in your article, it was the one um, that's the unified theory on gender. I think uh -huh. it was called that, you know, we don't like, we don't want to be egalitarian. We're definitely against that. And so we've kind of used complement complementarian to say, well, we're not egalitarian, um, but that it's that's gotten a little bit messy because there's some problems within complementarianism. Um, it's not all just this unified group that's against being egalitarian. Um, and I thought that was interesting because um, you're you're saying how people will kind of use the label like, yeah, I'm complementarian, and yet that looks completely different from someone else using that label. Right, right. But it, you know, we could, you can't, we can't make it mean what we want to mean, want it to mean. Somebody invented that term hmm. and they had very specific views of what it meant. I will say that um, I like how Denny Burke has been working with the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood to simplify um, and not go off on some of the tangents that I think um, have harmed in the past. I think, you know, he's even, I think, worked to um, clarify some of the ESS stuff 
there's a newer statement on the Holy Spirit on the Council of Biblical Mo uh, Man and Womanhood page that I think is much more accurate and helpful. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful that these things can be reconciled, but I do feel like there's some fundamental flaws at the foundation of how these things have been taught and particularly uh, Bruce Ware, who I think actually is a very lovely man of her very good things of his character. Um, but he has presented some sessions during his time as president at um, CBMW that were like defining complementarianism. He has every right to do that because he was there at the founding of complementarianism. And he's pretty clear that Genesis 3.16 and eternal subordination of the sun are kind of foundational to this thought. Okay, so there's definitely a, a link between eternal subordination of the sun and this interpretation right. of Genesis 3.16. Okay, and would, is that a, do you still use the word complementarian? Is that, you know, I've heard, I've heard other people mention they don't want to use it anymore. Is that, what do you think about the word? Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it as a label because I don't feel like I have the authority to reclaim it for myself. I do love the idea of complementary genders. Yeah. Uh, but I've talked with egalitarians who do too. So I, I just think the term complementarianism is um, fraught with some issues. I have a conservative view of gender right. and that's about the best I know how to word it. Yeah, and I think even with your conservative view of gender, like you already mentioned, you don't think women should be pastors or elders. You don't think, um, you you think there's differences in the genders and submission and all that. I'm sure people are still <laughs> assuming that, I don't know if you've gotten the feminist label or anything yet, but I'm, you know, people just, I guess if you say something contrary to their view of um, gender roles, they kind of start throwing things out like that. Yeah. So I, yeah. I've had to live with the fact that I'm a unicorn, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I meet more unicorns every day. So I think the unicorns are eventually going to unite and we'll have unicornism. And, <laughs> okay. uh, but you feel like a unicorn because you don't fit into either one of these camps fully. But then right. I really do believe that they're way more biblically minded folks. They're just not necessarily that publicized. That okay. Yeah, we had Rachel Miller on a couple of weeks ago to talk about right. eternal subordination of the sun. And one thing that she said is, and Ashley maybe remember more specifically, but something along the lines of, you know, we don't have to hold to eternal subordination of the sun to believe that wives submit to their husbands and, and men are called to the ministry of, to, to be pastors and elders. Right, exactly. Yeah. I think this is a lot to think about because, you know, I, I read an article a while ago. He was saying that the ideas within complementarianism, the, the basic ideas that men should be pastors and that marriage looks a certain way are things that, that Reformed Christianity has always believed, but not necessarily with some of this other stuff added in. Yeah, and I think that there is one particularly telling, I've watched this post Mars Hill, that if uh, uh, another reaction I see is like hyper masculinity uh, versus a hyper femininity, but they're, hmm. they're 
their cultured gender stereotypes. You know, Mark Driscoll had the manly man who's UFC fighting and don't chickify the church. And he would use some other rude words for female anatomy to be, like really criticize. Don't get, let your church become feminine like this. And that would be, you know, pastel colors. And, and there was like this hyper stereotypical view of gender. Hmm. that was lifted up as the ultimate manhood and the ultimate Christian womanhood. Well, transgender issues. I mean, I've seen this among friends coming out of Mars Hill that you don't fit this hyper masculine gender cultured stereotype, or you don't fit this hyper feminine gendered cultural stereotype. Maybe I'm not really a woman. Maybe I wasn't really supposed to be a man. And it's hmm. just this creepy, weird relationship between overemphasizing a caricature of manhood that then makes men feel like, oh, I guess I'm not a man. Maybe hmm. I'm a woman. Or, or pushing women toward um, adopting uh, masculinity as their main role because they think their femininity isn't enough. And um, it's really, it's a sad result I've seen, you know, I'm a woman because I have female biological characteristics. I, I'm physically female. And so that makes me a biblical woman because I'm in Christ. Hmm. And then I can use other parts of scripture to help me flesh that out. But if I happen to like dark colors instead of pink and purple, that doesn't make me less of a biblical woman. And if a man doesn't like UFC fighting and maybe likes to play the cello or I don't know, you know, he likes to cook, um, that doesn't make him less of a biblical man. And we have this um, ricochet effect, like a response that once those constraints are off of you, um, our, our questions of gender are messed up because we so hyperemphasize them. Um, in an unhealthy way that we set up people for failure. Wow. Yeah, in your in your article, um, the the one about gender that I mentioned earlier, you said that conservatives have come up with an idealized womanhood that fits about fifty percent of the woman the women affirmed in scripture. Right. And and you just said every, and you say it in your article, every woman used by God, um, like you're a woman because you're a woman, you know, it's not because you fit um, into like this hyper feminine stereotype. What, I guess my question with that is like, what, what is this idealized woman that they're making and what are they leaving out by, by kind of restraining it to these hyper feminine characteristics? Well, you know, my primary place of experience, again, I don't want to like beat a Mars Hill horse, but this is where I experienced it the most. And what I saw witness happening there was this hyper emphasis on sexuality, uh, sexy for your husband, sexually available. Those were the hyper emphasis in the positive way. And then in the negative sense, don't rock the boat. Don't ask hmm. questions don't offer contrary feedback. And so really the way, and, and Mark Jessica says, really, 
woo things at the time. But one of the things he said, like the, the wife's most important role in a church planner's family is to have sex with the church planner. And um, so again, you're hyper emphasizing sex. This is what the wife is for. But um, and and simultaneously excoriating women who oftentimes saw problems at Morris Hill far ahead. And I wonder if some of it could have been averted if women had been respected enough to like even consider their pushback or their feedback. Huh. Wow, that's that's really shocking. I had never heard that. Oh. I heard, before. <laughs> I've, I heard some of that from Mark Driscoll, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to say Michael Horton actually wrote an article where he talked about this very thing called, I think it was muscular Christianity. Hmm. And he talked about the, the same thing you're talking about, Wendy, you know, with these extremes and men need to fit into this thing. And, you know, I, I think we had a, a situation. I don't know if you saw around social media, Wendy, but there was a, um, there, there was a ballet thing going on at Tim Keller's church, I think during offertory and, and people were posting it saying that it was forwarding the gay and lesbian agenda. Oh, and yeah. yeah, and that, that really bothered me because I thought there are, there are heterosexual men out there who are dancers, right? You know, and why are we telling them they're gay? You, yeah. you must be gay. Yeah, and, and I even enough and people start wondering. Right, <laughs> and I I even went online and just out of curiosity and found a couple of articles of male ballet dancers, um, with lists of the biggest misconceptions about male ballet dancers, and and the top of the list on every single one was that we're all gay. Right, and. So I think that I think that too right there especially in our circles is a product of that way of thinking. Yeah, right. and I I mean I'm a girl who grew up playing sports. You know, I I still to this day would love to go out and just play sports and like you can sometimes feel like an oddball, you know, if you don't um fit into the exact like Wendy mentioned, you know, there's women that are you know, wear skirts all the time and love pink and purple and, and those things. And that's great. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But when you don't fit exactly in, you can start to feel like a little bit of an oddball um, in your churches. Wouldn't you say, Wendy? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it can cause a lot of self-doubt and I think Satan can take that self-doubt and manipulate it. And, um, and it's, important for us to emphasize what the boss size and not our own preferences. Yeah. Um, so constrained. Right. So what, I mean, just, I guess we've kind of, we've kind of gone through all our, our, the questions we had for you, but I mean, maybe what, what should like as biblical women, like you said, we're biblical women because we're biologically women and we're Christians what should we be what should be our focus then i love meditating on what it means to be an azer you looking at 
God's example as Azer. You know, you probably know this, but the Bible uses that word of God way more times than it uses it of women. And every time I go to a passage, I think, okay, I'm created in his image. And he specifically says, uh, he created me. And, and looking at what he does, it's his advocacy for the weak. It's his care and protection of the poor. It's his watch over his children. You know, it's just some really beautiful language, so beneficial to meditate on. So that I embrace femininity, I embrace womanhood, but I embrace it in the image of God and not in the image of Joe Pastor's wife. Hmm. Um, I don't want her to be my standard of womanhood. I want. I, th- I think it fits Christian orthodoxy to say God is my standard hmm. of Christian womanhood. Yeah, which is really you know. Then you you're like oh. Are you serious? But what does it mean that woman was made in the image of God? I mean, that's explicitly stated in scripture, and that's an okay thing for us to wrestle with. Yeah. Uh, Jasmine Holmes recently tweeted something where she said, biblical womanhood doesn't begin and end in Proverbs 31. Right. And she said it starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And I love that because it, it seems like you know, whenever biblical womanhood is discussed, it's like, well, Proverbs 31, 1 Peter 3, like, you know, it's like we're confined to these very, you know, small parts of scripture where we can, like you're saying, find it in all of scripture, what it means to be a woman. So I love that. Tell us about your new, your newest book. It just came out a few months ago, right? Yeah, it's called, Is the Bible Good for Women? Seeking Clarity and Confidence Through a Jesus-Centered Understanding of Scripture. And if you want, I have a copy um, if you want to do a giveaway. Oh, that would be great. Okay, so so ladies, go to our Facebook page. I'll have it linked. I'll have it linked on, on this post, and there'll be information about how you can enter to get a copy of Wendy's new book. We love contests. Um, so... <laughs> So what is your what is the book about? It really is written in a response to coming out of Mars Hill, seeing a lot of scripture I felt misused against women. And then um, also reading Rachel Held Evans, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, which I felt like her I felt like she accurately diagnosed a lot of problems. But then her her response was to discount the authority of scripture. You know, the answer is no woman can be a biblical woman. So why even try? Um, And I felt like that was a really inadequate response. And I felt like understanding a Jesus-centered hermeneutic, you know, a a redemptive hermeneutic that points to Jesus equips us to understand all of these hard places in scripture about women And so I wanted to really challenge a year of biblical womanhood by holding to the authority of scripture and and really wrestling through some hard passages. I spent a good bit of time on the rape of Dinah in Genesis and then the laws um, on to rapists and rape victims in Deuteronomy 22 um, and, and try to look at that through a Jesus hermeneutic and see what does Jesus is coming in the gospels point out to us about that and what hope does it give us for the future. So I'm hopeful that it'll minister to the right women. My hope is for it to be communicated to those 
um, in, in my history, more liberal areas like Seattle, where they gave scripture a try, it was misused against them. And I want to call them and say, no, 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 no. Scripture actually is really good. These deep longing in your heart, Jesus meets you in it and scripture meets you in it. And the answer is not to write off scripture. Stay engaged. Hmm. Do you, you know that something you said right now, and I, I was kind of thinking about, in, well, you were talking about Rachel's book where she identifies the problem, but doesn't really, but her solutions are not, are not biblical. And do you think that even on both extremes, that that's what's happening is identifying yeah. these are the issues and and they're going too far where we see so many extreme versions and i think that's what's happening absolutely and it, and it really stems susan foe did it first and I, I just really reject this line of reasoning because of the new issue of feminism we need to re-examine scripture and have a reactionary change to translation to address it and like, that's not how scripture operates. That mm. is not how historic Christianity operates. God doesn't react to our uh, cultural sins. He, he acts and he wrote his scripture and it's, it's set and it's eternal. And um, when we get into this reactionary game, feminism, I'm, not, I, I'm okay with unbelievers reacting i get that but christians reacting i just feel like that is really inappropriate to our historical reformed faith hmm. so instead of reacting we need to go back and see what scripture says yeah yeah it's kind of straightforward answer isn't it right yeah and so and I, I'd, I'd love now that we've talked about this i really you mentioned you don't love um calvin's translation or was it I think it was Calvin and Henry yeah, that you mentioned. Yeah. I want to go back and look at, you know, some of those church fathers and see, just to see what they had to say about this. Now, I'm just curious now. Yeah, Ashley, and, I, this, and this is something we're both still studying. Calvin said that um, thy desire shall be into thy husband. It's the same force as if he had said that she should not be free and at her own command but subject to the authority of her husband and a dependent upon his will so he saw it as a straightforward her desires will be subject to her husband who rules over her hmm. yeah that's interesting i can't remember exactly how matthew henry said it but i i do have those in my original um article i can send you yeah well, I think, I hope our listeners are at least encouraged to go explore this for themselves in scripture and to read a lot about it. You know, like I don't expect anyone to be convinced of anything from listening to one podcast, but you've got, you've got my wheels turning and <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to go, you know, really look into this because it's, it's just very different from, from what I've heard in the past. And Good. you know what? Our goal here really is to encourage women in the study of God's word. We want them to be going to God's word and studying these things. I'll include Wendy's articles where you can learn. And I don't, I have, I think, four of your articles written down. I'm, I might run them by you to see if I'm missing any where you talked about this. Okay. Well, we, we really appreciate 
you coming on, Wendy. We're just very grateful that you were able to come on today. Thank you. I enjoy talking about this very much. Yeah, and this, I, I think you've given us so much to think about, so, so many very helpful things. So I'm, I'm just very grateful. So, well, Ashley and I'll be right back with our question of the week. Striving for Eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference, August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseborough. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the Charismatic Gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. All right, Ashley. Now, our question, your question of the week last week was favorite podcast. Podcasts. Yeah. And so secular and Christian. Right. And you asked That's, on Twitter. Uh -huh. and I think you got some answers on there. I remember seeing a few people said dividing line mm -hmm. is their favorite. I, they said, uh, I also saw Heidelcast. These are Christian ones that I saw. I saw Theocast. Uh, we're fans of Theocast. We had Ryan Haskins on. Um, what else did I see? Um, why don't you tell me yours while I look at some of these responses okay. that I got? Well, you just mentioned two of mine, of course. Theocast. Theocast might be like number one for me right now. I'm really enjoying okay. Theocast. I love Heidelcast too. It's definitely mm -hmm. up there. It's hard for me to put them in, in an order. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love the White Horse Inn and for me, the night I met my husband, May 8th, 1994, Sunday, <laughs> and I was a new Calvinist. He was further along in true form theology than me. And he said, oh, you've got to listen to this podcast or this radio show. Did not, I don't know if it's still on the radio because I just listened to it online. And, oh, I just loved it. I used to record them. I had like this timer thing on my stereo and mm -hmm. I would tape them and I would listen to them in my Walkman like three, three times, you know, because I just, there wasn't, we didn't have Facebook or groups to discuss things that yeah. that was all that. I mean, I right. think when your mind was on at that point too, but as far as actual uh -huh. reformed stuff, there just yeah. wasn't, wasn't a lot. lot available. So I, it has a special place in my heart. And of course, I do like Rod's new podcast, even though it's Lutheran, it's called The Thinking Fellows. And they do uh -huh. some really, really interesting shows. My friend Jeff Mallinson was on recently doing a series on Calvin because he, he did his doctoral work on Beza when he was okay. formed. So, um, and let me see a fifth one. Let me think. I don't know why don't you say yours. Okay. 
Um, a couple more that people mentioned that I'm seeing. Uh, when we understand the text, fighting for the faith, uh, sheologians, a woman's hope. Um, just mentioning some of the Christian ones I'm seeing. Uh, confessional collective. I haven't heard of that one. Christ the center and the bar. Um, so I wrote down. So my two favorite uh, Christian podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis are Mortification of Spin. Um, I I just love Todd and Amy. Um, and um, why can't I think of the other host? Carl. Carl. Oh man, how could I forget Carl? So I just love uh, Todd and, and I love Carl. that one too. I love that yeah. one too. I should have said Mortification that of Spin. If you're not listening to it, that is a really great podcast. And the other one I like um, is the Reformed Pubcast um, because I've listened to it since the very beginning. Um, before I was Presbyterian and I kind of became a Presbyterian around the same time they did. And so it was kind of just fun to hear them kind of change their views and stuff over time. So I like Wes and Tanner a lot. And then my favorite um, secular podcasts, have you heard of This American Life? Yes, I Colleen. have. Okay, so I love This American Life, and then they had an offshoot called Serial. Um, it's a true crime uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, you recommended it to me, and I totally forgot to listen. I need, because we both love true yeah. crime. So I'm going to so this American Life. List. Yeah, This American Life's really good. Serial's really good, and... Um, NPR also has one called Radio Lab, which is like a science podcast that I've listened to for a long time. And then the other one that I've really liked lately is called Reply All, um, which is a podcast about the internet. It's interesting, a slight warning if you're going to listen to it. Every once in a while there's language and stuff in it, but um, I mean, it's a secular podcast, but uh, it's about the internet and about like society. It's really interesting. It's called Reply All. So. All right. How about you, Colleen? Well, let's see. You had said mortification of spin. You said another one I liked, but that I also listened to, but now I forgot what it is. So I, uh, so if I pretty much, when I listen to non-Christian podcasts, I listen to political podcasts and I won't, I'm not yeah. going to give my yeah. whole list. <laughs> my view. Yeah. <laughs> we, we avoid politics pretty well on here. So <laughs> Right. And it's not necessarily Christian, but it's not non-Christian and it, it's a little bit political. And that's my friend, Janet Mefford. I do mm -hmm. listen to her show. And I think that's about it. I mean, I do like some conservative talk radio. Sure. So we need a question for next week. I've got to think of something fun. This, this is just a little bit different, but what animals do you have? And okay. I don't think that that I've talked a lot about the animals in my home. So some people may be surprised yeah. next week. If you don't know me in real life or you're not friends with me on Facebook, we, we have a few animals. <laughs> so, but I'd like to know what animals other people have. Maybe some other people out there like the same kinds of animals. Hmm. Our family does. Yeah. I've had some and, unique pets in the past, so I'll mention those as well. Well, everyone knows Ashley has a cat, and periodically she does chime in on the podcast. Yes. So she has, if you've lot, ever heard she has lots of things to say about um, theology. 
So it's very possible she's been on this podcast. I I can hear her, but I'm not sure if. (laughs) Yes, we've heard her. Yeah, I'm not sure if everyone else can hear her. She doesn't like when I record without her. She's like, I hear you talking. Why why am I not in the room with you? So, So, well, I'm going to put several resources on this episode. So the resource sheet and all of our episodes and all of our resource sheets are on the website, BibleThumpingWingNet.com. And you just click on Theology Gals and that'll take you to all of our stuff. And on all of our all of our pages i do link our email address and all of our social media and our phone number so you can contact us we do want to do another question and answer show so please call in with those questions you can write also but it would be fun to have some actual voice calls otherwise i'm just gonna have to get my friends to do it and I think that's I think that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, if you would like to support us, there's also a link to our Patreon on on this episode also. So we will see you next week.